Good morning, everyone. We have Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 11. Now the serpent, who was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it your eyes will be opened and you will be more like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you, not, have you eaten from the tree on which I command you not to eat? Praise God, Jane. Looking very summary there, miss. So we're doing a series on uh, the foundations for strong faith. And um, if you've got the booklets, anyone not got a booklet, put your hand up, Margaret will grab one for you. We're on the I'm Made Righteous chapter. And uh, no need to apologize, Sarah. <laughs> oh, you forgot it, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charge your extra for that one. And uh, one of the... Um, one of the biggest causes that we experience for um, lack of faith or not being able to exercise faith uh, is we very often know that God is able and uh, we can become convinced that God is willing um, but we often still need uh, persuasion to believe or understand or accept that we have the right or to, to ask of him and so there's very often a, a lingering doubt within us, uh, sometimes not with regard to his ability, not with regard to his uh, willingness, but with regard to what place or what right do I have to ask this of God? And so we're doing a few weeks on, on uh, the fact that we are made righteous and we touched uh, something on that last week. And, used a scripture from Hebrews that said that the blood of Jesus uh, is able to cleanse our conscience from dead works. And um, very often, uh, if you're anything like me, and I suggest that you probably are, when we've gone to pray or come before God, lingering thoughts of our worthiness uh, will often hinder us. Thank you. I see a few people nodding their heads. Everyone else is just looking straight ahead because you realize that applies to the person next to you. So we're going to ask. Uh, uh, it is interesting, though, because God is aware of this. 
and he's addressed it a number of times in scripture that even though we are uh, very often we are cleansed we are washed we know we're forgiven we know we're made clean and yet there still seems to be a stench of sin about us and uh, in this scripture we'll, we'll look more at the scripture and we'll look at a few others uh, I want to address uh, how God addressed that and some ways in which he he, some things that he implemented under the law and in the New Testament to, to address that. And we're going to talk a little bit about two, two types of righteousness. We'll continue about that. We're going to talk about the two trees in the Garden of Eden. But in thinking about this and pre uh, preparing for it, I was reminded um, of, of the time when uh, so I do a little bit of cooking. And um, I, I just uh, try my hand at Asian cooking. You know, my dream is to be uh, come up to be a Filipino in my cooking because they are the best cooks in the world. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'm just not a good detail person. You understand that? So, so screwing screwing the lid on on back on um, was it fish sauce? No. Does anyone know fish sauce? It kind of smells like fish that's been dead for a couple of weeks. And fish, <laughs> fish must be a quiet taste. A fish emulsion, and, and not only that, I realised that I, I forgot that it's supposed to go in the fridge, and you're supposed to put the lid on it. So I just put it back on the cupboard, and then uh, unknowingly, somewhere over the next couple of days, it got knocked over Aye. in the cupboard. Aye. <laughs> and so. Um, there was this odour came from the cupboard and Linda said, uh, what's that? And I know, I said, I don't know, but you know, eventually we cleared things away and there at the back was this bottle of fish oil, fish sauce that had been spilt over. And not only that, it had sort of spread out amongst the top shelf, because you know, I didn't put it on the bottom shelf, I put it on the top shelf. Oh. And then it sort of drained down on the back of the wall and then spread on the next and then down you know. I felt it's a little bit like you know Jesus multiplying the fish loaves and the fishes how far can one bottle of fish sauce go but it can go I can tell you through all four shells and then not only that you understand it's compressed wood and so the back of it, it sort of soaks in to the wood so <laughs> She wasn't so mad about me about losing the fish oil. She was a little bit upset about the smell. And so it was my task to get rid of this smell. And so I pulled everything out of the cupboard, washed everything. And then I washed down the shelves and that, and shut the door and then came back a couple of, it's still stuck. And so then I thought, well, I'm going to bleach everything. Because, you know, the answer to everything is more bleach. Just, you know, that didn't kill it, just throw in more bleach. You know, and then you read that stain or double the bleach. So I put this bleach and I wiped it all down, wiped the walls and everything like that. And you know, and, and you know, it was good for a while because all you could smell was chlorine. But then after a few hours, this lingering dead fish smell came back. So I'm gonna have to drastic, I'm gonna have to paint it. And so I pulled it all out, got the shells out, got the paint roller, rolled over the inside rolled over all the shells, left the shells out in the sun for two days, all this, and did everything. 
painted fresh coat of paint and, and that was good. But you know, you put it back in and after and all you could smell was paint. It was good for about a day. And then this dead fish <laughs> smell came back. Because dead fish is a bit like, you might get the metaphor, it's like lingering doubts of sin. Yeah, you got it. So I went down to Bunnings and I said, you never guess what I did, I spilled fish on fish. And I said, oh, I've painted it, I've done everything. And this very understanding lady behind the paint counter said to me, what you need, sir, is dead man's paint. I said, dead man's paint? She said, dead man's paint. Which she said, it's not just to call it, but we call it dead man's paint. She said, when someone has died in a house or a room or a dog's died, and there's this show in America, they put a pig in a car for a couple of weeks and they tried to get rid of the smell. It's a bit like llama snot, you know, you can wipe it off you, but this is still, still stays there. So you need dead man's paint. This is what they use when they're recovering it. If there's been a dog died somewhere, a body died and it's filled the house, they painted it in this paint. So I bought this dead man's paint, painted everything, it soaked in, and it works. Amazing. Linda <laughs> just gave me the thumbs up. Yeah, it works. <laughs> That's the sign that this is a true story. <laughs> but we have this lingering sense of awareness or consciousness. Most of us Christians are sin awareness or unrighteousness awareness which Satan will play on when it comes time for us to pray or believe God or even when it, sometimes when it just gets time to get up in the morning. And God wanted to deal, wants to deal with that. Because it's kind of, I mean, it, it'll do us good. It will do us good that we are made righteous and we are forgiven. And that'll do us good when we get to heaven, but it's not going to do us any good here if we still feel like sinners. And if we still have this burden and this sense of guilt upon us. And this was a concern for God. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 and paint a little bit of picture but you will notice that uh, when Jesus came into the garden when God Jesus when God came into the garden um, in Genesis chapter 3 this is after they sinned okay? he comes into the garden and what's he doing he's walking he's looking for them he's wanting to have fellowship with them He's not mad at them. He's not angry at them. The idea that sin can stop you, can sorry, the idea that sin can get in between you and God puts way too much power on sin yeah. and way too little power on the blood of Jesus. Yeah. But what it will do, and and, and sin will destroy you especially knowing sin especially living in knowing sin continuing in it but what it will do is it'll give you a sin consciousness and god wanted to address that sin consciousness and so he said to them who is it that told you you were naked who told you that 
And I believe he's still asking, because naked means inadequate, not able to, yeah, unprotected. I believe he's still asking you this question today. Who is it that tells you you're unrighteous? Who is it that tells you that puts condemnation on you? It's not me. It's not God. Who is it that tells you you can't come bold in my presence? It's not him. God had that question that he asked Adam and Eve. And God was still concerned about that question. Because through, even you go all the way to Revelation, that talks about the accuser of the brethren being the devil. And they overcome the accuser of the brethren through the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And Hebrews, through Hebrews and through uh, Romans, it talks about having a conscience that is cleansed. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be good if our conscience was as clean as our righteousness? It's interesting. Uh, I, I believe there was a Garden of, of Eden, obviously, and I believe there's a, a genuine Adam and Eve, and they're genuine, real people. And uh, but it's also uh, we need to to understand this account. It's you know, historians call it a story. It is a story, but it's an account. All right. To understand this account, we need to understand that not only was it actual and factual, it is also uh, allegorical or iconic. In in many ways, it was um, the first occurrence of how sin entered into mankind, man's response to that, uh, and. Uh, and which formed a pattern that then went down through the ages and still happens in our own consciousness if our minds and our heart are not renewed to the Word of God. And of course, there was uh, a couple of interesting things I want to point out. First of all, I pointed out that that, uh, even when we have sinned and fallen, God still welcomes us back. God still looks for fellowship. God still wants restoration. If there's anything we take from the, from the parable of the prodigal son, it's that God runs to us. He runs to us. If the slightest turn runs to us, disgraces himself and pulls up his robe and runs to us. But he's concerned about how we feel and whether we can come boldly into his presence. And so in the garden, a couple of things that interest me. First of all, it interests me how little Eve knew about the goings-on. And um, I say that because many people have pointed out uh, some of uh, Eve misquoted or had some misunderstandings about what God actually said. Who knows that Satan will uh, work in misunderstandings of the truth of God's word? Uh, or even knowing certain truths but not know how they're applied. Uh, Jesus said in the parable of the sower that he gets in there with the words applied and people receive it, but he says if they don't understand it, then he works on that misunderstanding. And we know, when, of course, when Jesus tempted Satan uh, uh, that he twisted the word. And so uh, Satan asked, to, asked Eve, um, what is it that God had said? And she had a couple of misunderstandings. 
Um, first of all, she, she said, uh, that tree in the middle of the garden. How many trees were there in the middle of the garden? <laughs> in particular, like, like uh, there was a number of trees that God referred to. How many? A trick question. Two. There was a tree that led to life, and there was a tree called the knowledge of goodness and evil that led to death. But she said, the tree in the middle of the garden. And it's our fallen human nature when we've sinned to look at the sin. And not to look at the answer or the cure or the deliverance. And so Eve was obsessed with this tree, which was the knowledge of good and evil that led to death. She said, it's the tree in the middle. There were two trees. And then, then she made, she said, if we go near to it or we eat it. Remember, she said that if I go near to it or we eat it. Well, God didn't say you go near to it. He said, he said, didn't say you can't go near to it. We, we, when we look at this, um, look at what happened in the garden, we need, need to understand that it reflects on our life, who we are, what we deal with every day in overcoming sin or finding life. It's a pattern that still occurs. So it, the, the Bible says that God made many trees in the Garden of Eden, and he said, he said you, can, you can enjoy them and you can eat from them and they're, they're good. He said, there's one that you can't do, and that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> and when we look at what that means, we've sort of simplified it through Sunday school, which is there's a tree of being good, and a tree being naughty. So that's all about. This is the tree of the good people. This is the tree, the tree of life. That's when you're good. The tree of the knowledge is when you're disobedient. But it doesn't. You notice it says knowledge of good and evil. One was a tree of life that brings life. And one was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I was praying about this. And um, I don't like to read too much into things. And, you know, you've got to be careful when you dig into scripture. You know, it's normally blinding. It's normally so obvious that it hits you in the face, you know. <laughs> and uh, don't dig down, look for hidden meanings. But this actually says, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It doesn't say the naughty tree. It doesn't say the you bad little kid tree. It says the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, if you eat of this tree, you will die. So picture this, in our own heart and in our own mind and in our own life, we're in a garden that God has made for us. This, this is it. It's your life. There's so many choices that you can have and they're all good. You know, you might like to watch netball or you might like to watch soccer. You're a soccer. Yeah. yeah. That was last night. Yeah, it was pretty good. 
If it was one, I got so nervous, I went to the gym. <laughs> but, and there are all these things, and you know, there are things that are good, but there's one tree that will bring life. And there's one tree that will bring death. And the tree that brings death is the knowledge of good and evil. But what does that mean? So we're just going to continue that next week, Pastor Clarence. <laughs> right. It's not hard. And I was praying about this, and I woke up this morning with the tree of life is Christ. Tree of the knowledge, good and evil, is law. Yeah. I went. You gotta watch you to have these, you know, these revelations. You know, you gotta watch that you're the only one that's got them. <laughs> if you're the only one that's got your, so I, I googled, and there's some very good theologians that said the tree of life points to Christ. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the law, misunderstood and applied. And when you think about it, what happened to Adam and Eve? After they had, well, first of all, you, so eat means to consume or to feed off. Yeah. All right. Now you can go near sin, but if you're not feeding off it, it, it can't touch you. Yeah. You understand? Uh, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was when they decided we can judge ourselves how good we are or how bad we are or how we rank against each other. Or whether I'm more righteous than you, Chrissy. Or, or whether, you know, how bad I've behaved in comparison to how good I've behaved. It's a moralizing tree which says that the right to judge people and even to judge yourself, yourself in a sense comes from this, you, you claim to have the knowledge of whether that person's a sinner and this person's good or whether this sin is worse than that sin, or whether I've been good enough to approach God, that, that's all eating of the knowledge of good and evil. The word, the word uh, knowledge is yada. You know, you've know, seen Seinfeld? Yada, 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 yada. No one's seen Seinfeld? Yeah. No. Yeah, okay. yeah. Just didn't think that was funny. All right. Yada means to say or to speak, but it also means to decide, to think about, to dwell on and to, de and to declare. And God was saying to Adam and Eve, I'm going to put a tree there that's life, that's communion with me, that's grace, that's faith, that's living, receiving what I've got to give to you. The other tree is that if you decide to become the judge of other people and the judge of yourself, if you're prepared to allow criticism to to stick or to criticize others, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know, we know from how, what happened to Adam and Eve, first of all, they, 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 they believed they were naked, they were already naked. Yeah. But they, they, they knew they became aware of their own inadequacies. We had this battle going on in us. You know, I know it's not just me, but we have it. Where we, we think I'm inadequate or I'm not righteous or I'm not worthy or I'm going to allow condemnation or I, I fell into that sin, therefore I can't pray. And that, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you're feeding off. When what we've got to feed off is Christ. Yeah. Yeah. What we've got to feed off is the resurrection. And so Adam and Eve said, oh, first of all, they said naked. And then... God talks to Adam 
and Adam blames God. You must be in some fallen state to blame God. <laughs> I mean, you must be under some delusion of self-righteousness that somehow you're more righteous than God. Because he said that woman, he blamed the woman, but, but the thing I read, it makes me, is he blamed God. He said that woman that you gave me, therefore it's your fault. Oh, the road that self-righteousness will take you on. Yeah. And these are the two types of righteousness that the Bible talks about. Remember Romans 10 last week we talked about, it says the, the, the Hebrews not knowing about the righteousness that comes through faith and grace, they depended on their own righteousness, the righteousness that comes through works. And God is concerned that even though we are made righteous and, we're, and we'll get to heaven, it'll be fine. But now he wants us to come boldly. He wants our conscience to be cleansed of unrighteousness and this sense of guilt and this sense of shame. Now, I, I'm going to keep making these provisos because people, you know, people accuse Jesus of promoting sin. They accuse Paul of it. They accuse Wesley of it. They accuse Luther of it. They accuse Calvin. I'm not saying you knowingly keep doing and persisting things. You know, I'm talking about things that you become aware of and you repent, but yet that lingering, st that dead fish smell stays. Stays. So all through the Bible, you know, in Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, it's, well, turn there. Thank you, Chrissy, reaching for your Bible, you spiritual woman here. Praise God. Just the fact that you grab that even excuses the, the fact that it's a pink Bible. But Galatians chapter 3, and the Galatians had got caught up in all of this. That clock, is that that clock got a pause button on it. <laughs> just hit pause. <laughs> Again, last week I only got through the introduction. I only got through the introduction this week. So Galatians 3, verse 19. See, we've we've, we have misunderstood the purpose of the law. We thought the purpose of the law was that if we could be good enough that we will earn righteousness or will earn God's faith or, or we, we, we even thought the purpose of the law and I heard it from someone I very respect minister I very respect, if you did every single law that you would be righteous no Galatians says that if life could come through through the law doing things then, then, then sorry it says righteousness could come through it, then life would come through that but Life never comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Life comes from Christ. John 17, 3. This is life that they would know the Father and the Son in whom they sent. So in, in Galatians 3, verse 9, and it says, What was the Lord? Why was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. Then down to verse 22. The scripture imprisoned everyone under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith. Verse 24. The law then was our guardian or our schoolmaster to point us to Christ. 
The purpose of the law was to show that you cannot be good enough. Now, there were a lot of other things. It, it, it showed how if you, it did illustrate if you're walking in faith and love, how you would walk, how you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, how you'd love, that's it. But, but the whole context of it was to prove that you can't earn. It was to point you to Christ. And so all through the Old Testament, God institutes these um, sacrifices and these symbols, and they all point to Jesus. And he's saying the cure to the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good, the, the cure to judgment, the cure to condemnation, the cure to sin is on the other tree. It's stepping away from judging others, judging yourself. Paul said, we no longer see any man after the flesh. You see, we're, it, it's stepping away and, and turning to Christ. And, and so you have this um, sacrifice after sacrifice, but there's one sacrifice which is mentioned. We read in um, Hebrews 10, we read last week, 9. He talks about the, sac the, the uh, blood of, of, of goats and oxen. It says the ashes of the heifer. So there was this offering. Uh, it was offering of the red heifer or the young female cow that was instituted. And it said this is, an this is an offering or a sacrament that it goes on for eternity. It says this one goes on for eternity. And so they had to find uh, a perfect uh, cow they had to find a, a perfect young heifer and no spot, no, no, uh, no wrinkles, no fault, never been yoked, never been burdened, never worked. And then they took the heifer outside of the city, outside of the camp. Where was, where was Calvary? Golgotha, outside. And they slayed it and then they burnt it and burnt it and burnt it and burnt it and burnt it. And they threw all sorts of water on until they had ashes. And then they kept the ashes outside of the camp. Now, every other sin, guys, for goats and the sheep and the cows, that were for your sin or for the sin of someone else. But the sacrifice of the red heifer was for a consciousness of sin or death when he just went near sin. And I'll explain to you. What they would do is that if you... Um, if someone in your house died or you went near someone who is dead or or even if you trod on a bone or anything to do with death now this sacrifice was not actually for your sin this sacrifice was for an awareness of sin so you hadn't done anything wrong but sin just came your way and reminded you of your past failings and reminded you of your inadequacy. And what God said to do is to get the ashes of this cow, this perfect cow, and wash the bowl out of it and cleanse yourself with it. God set an institution that even when, you know, we're, we're clean, we're made righteous, but, but when we're reminded of our past failings, even though we haven't done them, when we're reminded of them, we're to turn to Christ. We're to turn to Him. Our eyes are to go to him. 
And in our every day, every, the garden that is our life, every day, we can choose to walk under self-righteousness or we can choose to walk under faith, great faith in the grace of God. The Bible says in Romans 8, verse 1 to 3, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation. There is now therefore no condemnation. For the spirit of the life of Christ has set me from the law of sin and death. It says, for those who walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. Walking after the spirit is not being led by the spirit. That's part of it. But you read Romans and you read Galatians. Walking after the spirit is walking in grace. What God's done for us. There's no condemnation if we look to the tree of life. Colossians says that he, the blood of Jesus, brings us faultless, blameless, free from accusation into the presence of God. Faultless, holy, as far as God's concerned, you're faultless. You're blameless. There's no accusation against you. None. None. The blood of Jesus is the dead man's paint. It's the dead man's paint. It's the one when we apply it to our lives, thank him for it. Thank you for your blood that cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Not most unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. Thank you for that. That's the tree of life. I have uh, in my pocket, you might appreciate this, Paul. How much can you buy for one rand? Not much. Not much. Can you actually buy anything for a rand? Probably get a little piece of jello jello candy or something. (laughs) That's where I said someone else this morning. Okay, well, what what about this rand? But it's just a rand. It's a Kruger rand. But it's one rand. But it's a Kruger. This Kruger rand's 100% silver, 99.99 repeated silver. But it's one rand. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil will judge you by that label or what you do, what's written on it. One rand. One rand. A rand is is a South African currency. It's like 20 to a dollar or something. Yeah. But this is a silver rand. And that rand is worth a lot. Not because of what Satan labels it or what you label it. It's worth what God paid for it and what God made it and our value and our worth in coming. I'll let that back. <laughs> Comes from who you, we are spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit, we are, we are spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. Our spirit is us. That's what goes to heaven. We have been made righteous. We have been made righteous. 
That's what God looks at. That's what God cares about. It's not the knowledge of any stinking old tree of good and evil. It's not how someone judges you and calls you. You're just one lousy round. No, 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 no. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. This, this belief, God judges us now by our faith in him. That's God's concern. Are we going to believe him? Are we going to believe that we are made righteous? Say this with me. I, I am the righteousness, the righteousness of God, God in Christ Jesus. You can't get more righteous. You can't get more silver. And one little one rand coin, one lousy rand coin. And we think the Bible says we have this glory in earth and vessels. Had this glory in earth and vessels. There's a usually supposed to get up at ten past. As I get carried away, keep going. There's an old hymn. that says uh, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners who plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins the sinners who plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Guys, every day we have two trees we can eat from. We're going to eat from the free gift of salvation. We're going to eat from God's grace, the fact that he's made us righteous. We're going to believe that or we're going to believe the knowledge of good and evil. One tree brings life. The other tree brings death. There is a fountain filled with blood that's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners who plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. It's the dead man's paint. The blood of Jesus is the dead man's paint for eternity. It gets rid of that stink. God doesn't see. He doesn't, he doesn't, he knows what's going on in your flesh. But you're made righteous. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus that cleanses me from all unrighteousness. I thank you that I've been made righteous. And Lord, we want to eat from that tree of life. From your presence, we come boldly into your presence to find life. Life is knowing you. Knowing you. We thank you, Lord, that you've cleansed us. You've made us righteous. We can come boldly to your presence receive grace and mercy. Father, today we commit to say about ourselves and believe about ourselves and look at ourselves, how you see us made righteous. We reject sin. We reject temptation. We reject the tempting of the devil. It has no part of us. We're like Teflon. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you. We receive your grace 
and your mercy today in Jesus' name.